Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. I'm just going to start by reading the word this morning. So Luke 11 verses 33 to 36 says, No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is a lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this morning. Thank you for the word that you're going to bring. And we ask that you would, um, that it wouldn't just be words, God, but they would land in a way that we need them to land in our hearts today. We come this morning um, with open hearts and open ears to hear what you're doing. Yeah, have your way. Amen. What a cool celebration today on Gift Giving Sunday. I don't know about you, but I always get a bit teary when I see the, the bags of gifts coming up to the tree and just think about that every one of these bags represents a family out there that, you know, that we get the opportunity to be a part of blessing and um, making Christmas a little bit easier for someone. Um, I'm so grateful to be a part of a, such a generous community. So thank you for everyone who um, has brought a gift today. We know that it's going to be a real blessing. But I was thinking that it's not only great for those that we're blessing, but I'm convinced that actually as we give, that we're the most blessed. And today I want to talk, um, I want to talk about the opportunity that we have this Christmas to be intentional in our generosity. One of the things I love about Jesus is how he always lived so counterculturally. And one of the areas that I've always found fascinating is, have you ever noticed that Jesus has the ability to turn what the world would call the good life upside down? Meaning over and over again, he challenges the perspective and the thinking of the world. For instance, you've probably heard the phrase, it's better to give than to receive, or it's more blessed to give than to receive. And we find this in Acts 20 verses 35, and it's Paul quoting Jesus. And I think it's really easy to nod to that and say, amen, yeah. But you know, when we actually think about that, Jesus is saying it's better to give than to receive. Do we really think that? You know, it's not a very good sound investment strategy. And the Greek word for bless actually means happy or fortunate. So it seems like Jesus is saying you're going to be more happy or you're going to be happier when you focus on giving and not receiving. So by that logic today, as we give, we're also receiving. And maybe that's something that you agree with today, at this moment, as we're being intentional in our generosity. But what I want to talk about is this Christmas season, how do we continue to foster generosity? Because there's a narrative being told to us that we'll be happier with more. And it's a constant story we're being told. It's just that this time of year, it gets turned up to like 11. And it's complemented by a secondary story. You'll be happier with more 
especially if you can get it for less. If you can get a bargain, you've won, that, you've won the day. If you can find it cheaper, then that's the best possible outcome. Now, I have a strong love for a bargain. You know, when I know that there's a sale coming up, I'll open up like all of the different websites and I'll check out who's going to sell it for what price. You know, is it cheaper to collect in store or shall I get it delivered? But then who wants to pay the extra $7 to get it delivered if you can pick up? Or like buying something off, off marketplace. I won't look at Jono because this has happened too many times than I'd like to admit to, but often I'll end up like somewhere completely rural or the other side of the town just because I wanted to have a bargain of saving on postage. <laughs> I didn't consider petrol in my, my calculations, but, <laughs> but I found that more often than not, I end up having too many options or I'm trying to make the cheapest option work, but it's you know the most inconvenient often that I end up not making any decision at all, only to then make the decision the following week and buy it at full price, because the sale is now over. <laughs> but if we're, if we're honest, bargain hunting or like being wooed by a good sale often leads us to buying stuff that costs us less, but others a whole lot more. And most of you know what I'm talking about. You know, that top that's a bargain but was made in a sweatshop. Or that new toy for the kids that's been made in a factory by kids the same age as the ones that we love. You know, it's the side of Christmas that we like to try and avoid, to ignore. Which is ironic, isn't it, that we take the celebration of the birth of Jesus and, and behave in a way that's completely foreign to who he is. And I don't say that to guilt us into consuming more responsibly, but to just point it out. Because that's what Jesus does. Like Jesus said, Jesus lived counterculturally, and he invites us to do the same. And so I think we have an opportunity this Christmas to ask what parts of how I celebrate is of Jesus and should be esteemed? And what parts of how I celebrate is part of the story of people trying to manufacture discontent in me so that I'll spend more money and we can reject those parts. So my goal is today is to equip us with a framework. Maybe it's new to you, maybe it's a reminder, but it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I think it's helpful if we acknowledge, as I alluded to earlier, that this doesn't make sense. It's a paradox. A paradox is when you read something or hear something and it, it doesn't make sense, it seems to kind of contradict itself. Like, the more choices we have, the harder it is to choose. I can relate to that one, but... <laughs> the only certainty is uncertainty. The more you learn, the more you realise you don't know. If something scares you, you should probably do it. Talk less to say more. Now, Jono has this poem, and he felt really witty telling me this when we first met. I didn't think it was very witty. I thought it was a little bit weird. But, like, he went to a weird school, so that, that's okay. <laughs> but it's always stuck with me. It goes like this. One fine day in the middle of the night, two dead men got up to fight. Back to back, they faced each other drew their swords, and shot each other. 
And if you don't believe my lie, it's true. Ask the blind man, he saw it too. That's dumb, eh? Like, <laughs> that doesn't make sense. That's a paradox. <laughs> but if we're honest, sometimes the Bible feels like it's full of paradoxes, doesn't it? But I love what the theologian Chesterton said about paradoxes. He said, a paradox is a truth standing on its head, waving its legs to get our attention. The gospel is a paradox. Joy in suffering. Purpose in serving. How about this one? Strength in weakness. And the one we're talking about today, blessing in generosity. And this isn't just a truth that Jesus revealed. Jesus is articulating how God has always been. In Proverbs 11 verses 24 to 25, we see it says, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That's a paradox. When you give, you prosper. When you refresh others, you will find refreshment. You see, and it's so important that we see this because at at our church, we invite people to serve, not necessarily because we need to get stuff done, but it's because we want you to be refreshed. We want you to understand that as you refresh others, as you get outside of yourself, that God's going to refresh you. And look at how Eugene Peterson breaks this verse down in the message version. This is so good. I love this one. It says, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. And what's the writer saying? He's saying, I want to show you a way that works. I know we're not in that series anymore, but I'm just saying. (laughs) This isn't a get get rich quick scheme. This isn't prosperity gospel. There's no number to call or like a seed to purchase in faith. It's not sow a dollar, reap ten. But there is a biblical truth here. The world works by taking. And I don't say that as a judgment, just an observation. I have a Bachelor of Science. I was doing a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. But then Jono forever teased me that it wasn't a real science, and so I changed it to a Bachelor of Science just to prove him wrong. (laughs) Because it is a science. (laughs) So as a scientist, (laughs) I can tell you, (laughs) energy isn't created or destroyed. Like it, It just changes form. So for a cow to live, it has to eat grass. It has to take that grass. For a lion to live, it has to eat the cow. That's an applicable everyday example, right? Like, we're seeing cows and lions all the time. But everything in the world works by taking. I'm going to stick to psychology, by the way, I think. (laughs) But God says, that's not how I work. In my economy, you don't live by taking. It's better to give than to receive. The world of the generous gets what? Larger and larger, yeah. And we want to be a big church, not necessarily in numbers. Although I know that if everyone in my life who doesn't know Jesus came to know his love for them, this room would be a little bit more cramped. 
But we want to be a big church, a large church in our heart capacity, to have a big love of God, a big love for each other, and a big love for our city. And we have the best model and mentor when it comes to generosity, God. You know, he sent his son, Jesus, as a sacrifice for our sins so that we could spend eternity with him. What does it mean to be generous? One of the definitions that I came across that resonated with me was, generosity is giving more than what is required. Generous living isn't just about actions. It's a lifestyle and an attitude that we cultivate where we are other-focused. It's not a one-size-fits-all concept, and it's not limited to the wealthy or the gifted, the beautiful or the lucky. It's a journey where our hearts get transformed from what can I get to what can I give. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. You know, we often think of ourselves as the owners. And in our society, that's maybe true. You might own a home, a car, the clothes that you wear. But in God's economy, everything belongs to him. And we are just the stewards. It doesn't matter how much we have. It matters what we do with what we're given. And generous living is about seeing everything that we have as a gift from God, where our mindsets shift from this is mine to this is to share. Because more things do not necess- does not necessarily mean a better life. But it's so easy to have a hoarder mindset, you know, just one more thing and I'll be satisfied. Maybe you're not a literal hoarder of possessions, But maybe you're hoarding forgiveness. Maybe you're hoarding gratitude. Maybe you're hoarding encouragement. Maybe you're hoarding your laughter or your joy. And you think that if you just maintain and hang on to what you've got, that you're going to be blessed. But Jesus says, I've come to turn your world upside down. It's better to give than to receive. The world of the generous gets larger and larger. And one of the things that I love about Jesus is that something that he said 2,000 years ago, we're just kind of catching up in research now. You know, what do you know? Jesus was right. (laughs) And there's a growing body of research that show numerous psychological and physiological benefits of giving. This challenges kind of the common conceptions that... um, More money means you're happier. One study gave $5 or $20 to participants, and they instructed them to either spend it on themselves or on someone else. Later that evening, the researchers checked in to see how people felt emotionally. The group that gave money to others reported feeling happier across the day. What's more... The results showed no emotional difference between people who gave $5 and those who gave 20 So the amount spent didn't matter. Other research has shown that volunteering boosts health. One study found that elderly people who volunteer are 44% less likely to die over a five-year period than those who don't. 
So volunteering seems to be intrinsically rewarding, which is the a reward, a reward that we get when we do something good for others or something mean, meaningful. Other researchers have then explored whether the benefits of um, volunteering could be explained by other factors, such as the possibility that people who volunteer are naturally more happy or healthier. The researchers found that volunteering boosts well-being, no matter one's baseline. Giving produces a warm glow, literally. Research has found that pro-social behaviour, or behaviour that's directed towards others, can cause body temperature to rise. More broadly, warm glow giving describes a phenomenon where people experience pleasure when they spend money on others. This was originally introduced as an economic model that framed giving as a good but selfish act. The phenomenon has since been studied and scientists generally agree that giving releases feel-good neurochemicals like oxytocin and endorphins. The helper's high is a similar concept. <laughs> the exact processes in the brain that underlie, that underlie the benefits of giving remain unclear. But one study has produced some of the first hard evidence showing that it involves a complex interaction between lots of different brain regions, including the reward system and decision-making regions. The researchers showed that human altruism, which is doing something solely for the benefit of someone else, draws on systems of reward, social connection, and social aversion. Giving may also alleviate depression. It's hard, if not counterproductive, to ease depression by focusing on the self. Giving shifts focus towards the needs of others. And studies have found that volunteers are less likely to be depressed and that engaging in compassionate acts produce long-lasting protective effects against depression. The benefits of giving seem to be universal. One study found a positive relationship between giving and happiness in 120 out of 136 studies after, sorry, countries, <laughs> after controlling for income and other variables. The relationship was strong in the majority of these countries. What's more, the benefits of giving were observed even among people who were struggling financially. And finally, researchers in America have tracked 2,000 individuals across a five-year period tracking the spending habits and lifestyles of 40 different families from different classes, ethnicities, and states. Americans who described themselves as very happy volunteer an average of six hours per month, compared to those who are unhappy at 0.6 hours. Other findings also included lower depression rates amongst Americans who donated more than 10% of their income. There seems to be a paradox of generosity. So this gift-giving Sunday, as we celebrate our generosity and we remind ourselves that it's better to give than receive, what's next? You know, we've come together today in generosity and my encouragement is that we can continue to carry the gener generosity with us into this Christmas season. And we can do so in direct contrast to a society that is telling us that more is better. So I started today by reading from Luke 11, where it said, No one lights a lamp, 
puts this in a place where it would be hidden or under a bowl. If you're like me, maybe that reminds you of Sunday school. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. But what's Jesus actually saying here? Like shining our light is a really nice phrase, but I'm not sure what that means sometimes. So if we continue to read further, Jesus says in verse 34, your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Now, I've been watching some Star Wars with Jono. This sounds a lot like Yoda. Your eye is the lamp of your body. See to it that the light within you is not darkness. I can, I can kind of see why that bit didn't make it into the song, eh? But <laughs> Jesus here is actually teaching about generosity. And he does so by using a metaphor and then an established cultural idea. Sorry. So the metaphor is one of an oil lamp. Not like a bedside light switch, he's talking about how a house was lit. And the way that it would work is that there would be a ceramic bowl of oil that um, would be lit on fire and would burn, and that would illuminate the house. And to light a house was actually quite expensive. It was expensive just because of the price of oil itself. So practically speaking, you wouldn't hide a light once, it's been, once you've spent the money. And the function of the light was to illuminate so that people could find the house and they could get into the home. And so he's teaching this as an illustration. And then he says, your eye is the lamp of your body. And that's kind of where we hop off, right? But Jesus was using an established cultural idea of the eye. People would talk about someone as either having a healthy eye or an evil eye. And we now know that the eye works by taking in light, converting it into electrical signals into something that the brain can recognize um, and then process as an image. So our, the eye takes in light. But in the ancient world, the opposite was thought to be true. The ancient Greeks, for instance, they thought that you saw because your eye would, um, your eye would shoot light out of it. And that was how you saw. From that idea came the idea that certain people, often widows or strangers, could shoot light out that harmed others. And the idea was that they were so upset with what they didn't have that their light was corrupted and would steal from other people. So their evil eye would take from someone what they themselves couldn't have. So that the way that like an infant death might be explained wasn't because of disease or malnutrition, but that an envious member of the community had cast an evil eye. Or if a farmer lost crops, it wasn't because of climate changes or mismanagement, but that the fields were withered because an evil eye had caused it to do so. Jewish thinkers didn't really endorse this idea, but they played with it to explain other things. For example, in Proverbs, we see that an evil eye is used to describe someone that is stingy, hoarding things for themselves and wanting more. 
So in Proverbs 28 verse 22, it says, A man with an evil eye hastens after wealth and does not know that that want will come upon him. In contrast, in Proverbs 22 verse 9, it says that um, he who has a bountiful good eye will be blessed, for he shares his bread with the poor. So there's an established cultural idea that how you behave, whether you're generous or not, reflects your heart. That the heart is shining out of your eyes and that we can have have a healthy eye or an unhealthy eye. And Jesus is playing off this idea of an evil or unhealthy eye implying being stingy or greedy. So Jesus is saying, you don't light a lamp and hide it. Your eyes are the lamps to your body, playing off the idea of our tendency towards either being generous or greedy. So if we are greedy, we fill ourselves with darkness. But when we are generous, we fill ourselves with light because it's better to give than to receive. And the world of the generous grows larger and larger. So Jesus is giving this teaching, and then what happens? You know, in your Bible, if you're reading along it, you might see a subheader. In mine, it said, woes on the Pharisees and experts in the law. But those subheadings are kind of just put in to help us navigate. When Luke wrote this, he just flowed on to the next story because it directly continues the theme. It's the application of Jesus' teachings. In Luke 11, verses 37, he said, it says, When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee, who was a religious person, a teacher of the law, invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. This Pharisee is flabbergasted. He's completely shocked. Other translations say that he was indignant towards Jesus. Like, how dare you not wash? Now, you might think, like, I'm kind of with the Pharisees on this. Like, it's kind of gross. Like, maybe you should have washed your hands. (laughs) But that's not what's going on. See, the Pharisees were a sect in in Jewish society who were really concerned with the law and being ritually clean. To the point that at this period in time, they had kind of taken the ritual requirements of a priest and put them on everyday people. So they wanted everyone to ceremonially wash and all the rest of it. And so when Jesus sat down to eat without doing the ritual, the Pharisee is shocked. And Jesus says in verse 39, Now then, You Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And remember, Jesus just gave a teaching on the generous eye versus the stingy, greedy eye. And here's the application now in verse 40. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you look good from the outside, but inside, inside you're full of greed, inside you're full of wickedness. He's saying the outside of the bowl is clean, but the inside, it's nasty. Speaking of nasty, one of the worst smells I have ever encountered 
is a lost baby's bottle. Does anyone know what I mean? <laughs> Some people are nodding, yeah. Especially if it's had formula in it. So like your baby might be drinking it and then they fall asleep before it's finished and it just rolls off you, maybe under the chair or the couch. And at that moment, you can't get it because the baby's asleep on you. And, you know, and then you transition them and they take a wee while to settle. And so by the time they're asleep again, the bottle's out of your mind. And it sits there for a week, maybe a few weeks, I don't know, maybe a month. And they're pretty well sealed, so like you don't smell it or anything unless you go looking for it. And then one day you find it, or worse, your baby finds it and tries to drink it. <laughs> That's just hypothetical example, but. <laughs> and what was once liquid has now been transformed and you open it. And the smell that comes out like makes your eyebrows tinge with, I don't know, your nose hairs curl. Not, not that I have nose hairs, but on the outside of the body it, bottle, it all looks fine. But inside, inside in the darkness under that couch, something truly horrible has formed. <laughs> and I wonder how many of us as believers... Like, we might know what to do to look good on the outside. But something on the inside might be going wrong. Maybe hurt has festered. Maybe pride has set in. Or even something as innocent as the desire for nice things to find satisfaction. And so when we want our light to shine out, it shines from a fragmented place. And so Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, you're obsessed with me washing my hands and doing this whole thing. But you've lost the purpose. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're corrupt. The inside has forgotten the value of generosity. And one of the things I just love about Jesus is he never condemns. He just convicts. You know, and as a culture, we love condemnation. We love to criticize. You know, you're bad and here are five reasons why you're wrong and you should feel really horrible. Jesus doesn't do that. He just says, you're wrong. You've got it backwards. And then he points them towards, he brings correction by pointing towards something in a different way than what they're doing. He points them towards a better way. And he says in Luke 11, verses 41, but now is for what's on the inside of you. Be generous to the poor and everything will be cleaned for you. It's better to give than to receive. The world of the generous grows larger and larger. Because when we are like God, when we give, when we practice generosity, we bring light into ourselves and we bring healing into the parts that maybe have gotten a bit messy. We don't earn God's love or favor or blessing, but we come into line with how he works. And it's only in God's way that we live, not by taking, but by giving. And James Keller puts it this way, a candle loses nothing by lighting another candle. So I'm almost done. So, Band, if you could come back up, that would be amazing. Thanks. 
But I wanted to end with a few practical things. Because can I suggest that if we're embracing, if we embrace celebrating Jesus' birth at Christmas, but we do so by worshipping the idol of consumption, and in the process we hurt maybe the needy or the vulnerable, then I think Jesus' rebuke in Luke 11 is for us, that we could do with a clean inside. And so my encouragement is, this Christmas season, how can we embrace generosity? You know, it's our goal in something like today that it wouldn't just be a tick box, that, but that it would be the start of something in us. You know, today is amazing, but it really is intended to be a place to start. We love doing it as a way to start the Christmas season, to, to start in the way that we want to continue. And remember, we're not earning God's approval but I've found that when I reflect on who he is and what he's done for me and continues to do for me, I moved to generosity. And so a few ways might come up on the screen about how this Christmas, what embracing generosity could look like. The first one is embracing conscious consumption. Giving gifts is a good thing. But maybe this Christmas we're mindful of how much we need. How much is enough? And is the way that we give helping or are we buying things that might be creating harm? Now a great place to start is to look at something like the Tear Fund Ethical Guide and decide to only buy products that have a certain, certain rating or buy secondhand or re-gift. Jono and I have been doing this for about 10 years now. And it felt pretty overwhelming, to be honest, about where to start when we first started doing this. Can I suggest that just picking one thing and starting there? Because when the need feels big, or the need or the cause feels big and overwhelming, our default position is often to do nothing or to feel like your contribution isn't gonna make a huge difference, so why do we even try? But I remember starting by choosing not to buy five dresses in a sale, but just save up for one ethically made dress. And they're not all expensive. And over the years of consistently making those decisions, it feels like second nature now. But it's also been incredible to see the way that the fast fashion industry has changed and how certain brands have embraced kind of conscious um, production over the years too. And an another idea is gifts for life. Tear Fund has a range of gifts that you can purchase on behalf of one of the overseas projects. You can purchase schooling or medical packs for refugees or even a coffee plant or a goat for a village. They're pretty cool. <laughs> so we can embrace generosity through our conscious consumption. Maybe you can help practically. Maybe you can be generous with giving your time. Time is just as valuable as money. We can always earn more money or buy more things, but we will never obtain more time. Instead of seeing our time often as a value contribution towards someone or a cause, we can often become stingy with it and say, oh, I just don't have time. We all have time. And the question is, are we making time for what's important? 
This is one thing that God's been really challenging me on over the past couple of months, particularly at work. You know, most of us here do something that involves interacting with people. Um, but some jobs may be more, to, tr- more positioned around kind of giving and meeting the needs of others. So I work as a psychologist and I was noticing that as the needs of my clients got bigger and more intense, that I felt less able to give my time to my colleagues in between sessions. Don't get me wrong, I'm a firm believer in self-care and the importance of um, reflecting on where things are at for you and making changes if you need. And and sometimes that might look like just creating space for yourself and, and those types of things. But what I was noticing in me was the tendency to not ask a colleague how they were doing or how their kids were or how their work was going because I didn't want to feel burdened or responsible for their answers. And I was making coffee the other week in the kitchen and and a colleague came in and I just felt the Holy Spirit challenge me to take the time and properly connect with them, to stop, to make eye contact, to ask them how they were. And it wasn't a long conversation because often we don't have time for that. But I've been intentionally trying to do this since then, being generous with my time to take a moment and connect with others. And I've realized that a lot of people are dealing with some pretty big stuff. And I didn't need to be their psychologist. I didn't need to solve their problem. I just needed to be generous with my time, to connect, to have a laugh, to maybe help them feel less alone. And I would have predicted that I would feel really weighed down by this. But I found the opposite because the world of the generous gets larger and larger. So what does it look like for you to be generous with your time? Sometimes we might be called to big acts of generosity, but mostly I believe it's just the small steps we can take to cultivate an other-focused attitude in our life. Because we'll never truly know the impact that our time can have for someone else. Another way that we might be able to help practically this Christmas season is being generous with our abilities or skills. We all have things that come easily to us or that we do well. If you see a need that you can meet, do it. What can we do to contribute to lighten the load for someone who may be struggling and to make the difference for them? And lastly, we can be generous with our encouragement. Mother Teresa says, kind words can be short and easy to speak, but their echoes are truly endless. Words are powerful. What if we chose to be people of light who bring encouragement into a world that just has such an ample supply of discouragement? What if we spent our days looking for ways to brighten someone else's life through our encouragement? You know, if you think a kind thought about someone, say it to them. If you see a burden, pray for it. Let's be people who have eyes to see the opportunities and ways to impact someone today. They're all around us. So this Christmas, let's continue to embrace the paradox of generosity. It's better to give than to receive. 
the world of the generous gets larger and larger. In a moment, I'm going to hand it back to Penny. But before I do, I'm just going to pray for us. Thank you, God, that you're generous. Help us to be more like you. Not giving to impress or to earn, but as an overflow of your love in us. Thank you that as we give of our resources, of our time, of our skills, even in our words with encouragement, that we embrace your way of things, that we don't live by taking, we can trust you and and your upside down way of being. I thank you today for the generosity that's been poured out. We pray for these families that these gifts are going to. Would you bless them this Christmas? And as we go from here today, embracing this Christmas season, would you go in your generosity? Would, you go, would we go with your generosity in us, living out your gospel, that it's better to give than to receive? Thank you that you go with us, helping and encouraging us. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. 